Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Well, we started a Christmas series last week called We Wish You a Messy Christmas. And we're going to be on this for the next couple weeks. And so let's jump in. A lot to cover today and see what God has for us. Holy Spirit, we want to uh, allow room and time and space for you right now to just kind of dwell among us and um, speak to us. We want to continue in an attitude of worship, even in our attentiveness as we learn through your word. We want to continue in an attitude of worship in our giving and uh, just in what we present before you. So we pray that you would speak to us draw near to us, each person here. I pray that you would even surprise some of us with the power of the presence of God right now. That we would begin to sense the love of God surrounding us, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God calling us to you. So we invite your presence. Speak to us through your word and have your way among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my favorite photo of my wife and I. Uh, It was taken during uh, our cruise to Alaska. It was an anniversary cruise uh, that we took to Alaska. And uh, I remember when we saw it on the ship, we looked at it and my my response was, dang girl, we look good. And and we kind of like, this is like fantastic. And so we bought the picture and we took it home and it was probably on display at our home. And Uh, Someone came over to our house and they saw it from across the room and they were like, wow, you guys look fantastic in that and walked over to the picture, picked it up and began to study it and was quiet for a little bit. And they said, true story, they said, wow, they really airbrushed out the imperfections, didn't they? (laughs) That person's never been to our house since. But the bad thing was, is I didn't get it. I, I, I never realized that they airbrushed out the imperfections, a little smear to kind of take away a wrinkle and, you know, adjust some uneven skin tones and color out the gray and, you know, bam, yeah, perfection. I, I didn't get it. Later, we caught the raw image files, which look like this, the untouched version. Uh, there, there, there you go. I, I don't know how I missed it, but, but see, the cruise lines know something that this doesn't sell. But the next image, please get that off. That sells, right? They, they understand that people don't necessarily want to look at the real them. They want to look at a made-over, airbrushed, touched-up version of them. And this is not unlike what we do around the Christmas season. We have a tendency to beautify everything. Take that image off now. Okay, that one's done. Let's go to the next slide. We have a tendency to beautify everything. We kind of clean up messy lives, or at least we put it on hold, at at least for a season. Christmas could be described as a 25-day airbrush session where we gloss over our imperfections. And everything has to look perfect because it's the most wonderful time of the year. And so the house is decorated and is perfect and the tree is lit and the stockings hung by the chimney with care. And we spend time to pick out the perfect gift and wrap it in the perfect paper and place it under the tree in the perfect way so to make for a perfect day. And we go through great lengths to 
get family photos where everybody's smiling and everyone looks happy and everything looks perfect. And it doesn't matter if we didn't look that day that way all year. It's Christmas and we'll keep taking photos until everything is just so. Last week, I posed the question that perhaps we've gotten Christmas all wrong. Perhaps the wonder of Christmas is not in a 25-day makeover that presents life as perfect. But perhaps the wonder of Christmas is, is in the mess. Perhaps the wonder is that in the mess we discover that we are not alone. It is in the mess that we discover the miracle of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us in the mess. Maybe the whole point of Christmas is not to make over our lives to present them in this Christmas picture-perfect you know, photograph, but to embrace the mess and in the mess discover that we are still covered by grace. And could the message of Christmas and the message that we need to take into our hearts be that we can be messy and glorious all at the same time? Because this is what we find in our first Christmas. It was messy. The, the mess of a virgin being with child and the social stigma that went with it. The mess of Joseph's struggle to step into being a stepdad, his wife a virgin pregnant and he's never touched her. The mess of God stepping in among humans, the mess of the Christ child being born to a poor family, the mess of a baby being laid in a food trough, the mess of of God proclaiming the Christ child to shepherds. And we talked last week about the poor reputation that shepherds had. The mess of Herod ordering what is known as the slaughter of innocents, where uh, every child from two years down was put to death in hopes that he would kill the Messiah, the Christ child. There's nothing about the first Christmas that is mess-free. It's almost as if God is saying that I'm comfortable in the mess. And perhaps this Christmas we step away from portraying perfection and instead we embrace the mess because Jesus is at home in the mess. He's at home with our disappointments and our difficulties and he looks at my sinful life and it doesn't run him off but instead he steps into the mess with me. He gets into the dirt and steps into the trash heap and he steps into messy relationships and steps into my dysfunction and he's not pushed away by an ugly past. And perhaps this is the Christian life. It is not a life without mess, but it is Jesus in the mess with us. And this is the wonder of Christmas, that Jesus loves messy people. That he doesn't need to surround himself with nobility or the rich or the famous to make him feel good about himself. But instead he steps in among the poor and the forgotten and the addicts and the outcasts and the marginalized and the sinners and the sick and the hurting. It's on the island of misfit toys that he sets up camp and he looks around and he says, my people. And that's good news for us that find ourselves on the island of misfit toys. That you are God's people. And what if imperfection and unfinishedness and messiness are, in fact, the earmarks of real, true Christianity? That real Christianity is messy and erratic and lopsided and gloriously liberating. What if genuine faith begins with admitting that we will never have our act completely together? Maybe messy disciples are exactly the kind of imperfect people Jesus came to earth for and whose company he actually enjoyed and still enjoys. 
If you want to find Jesus today, look for him in the midst of the burned out believers and moral misfits and religious incompetence and men and women whose lives are, well, messy. Messy spirituality is a strong antidote for the spiritual perfectionism in all of us. Here are the truths that can cut us loose from the tyranny of autos and open your eyes to the deep spirituality of being loved, shortcomings and all. But the God who meets you and transforms you in the midst of a messy and unpredictable life. We wish you a messy Christmas because it is in the mess that we find the miracle of God with us. So today we're going to continue our thoughts. We're going to look at the Christmas story through the eyes of Joseph in a message that I've titled Messy Choices. We're going to jump in Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, you can read between the lines there, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was, a faith, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now understand something, in Jewish culture at this time, couples were considered married even before the wedding ceremony. So uh, in this engagement process of sorts, uh, for all purposes, they, they were already considered to be married, even though they had not consummated their marriage. And oftentimes it would not happen for possibly a year later that there was very little alone time between uh, the, the fiancés. And so this was a scandalous event for Mary to be with child. And life for Joseph is about to get messy. And Joseph had some messy choices, none of which were his plan A. Plan A was to marry Mary, get his carpenter business up and running, have a few children, have some grandchildren, enjoy life, spoil the grandchildren, grow old together. But as so often happens in life, plan A quickly becomes plan B. Anybody living off of a plan B right now? If you're married, don't raise your hand. That's a bad, bad thing. Plan A becomes plan B. Plan B was launched during a conversation that Mary had with Joseph that probably went something like this. Uh, Mary interrupts Joseph probably while he's watching Sunday football, because women like to have a serious conversation during Sunday football. And she's like, Joe, I'm not sure how to tell you this exactly, but you're going to be a daddy. And Joseph's like, one day I I will be. I look forward to that. It's going to be fantastic. But the game. And she's like, well, Joe, I'm not sure exactly. But apparently, if I understand this correctly, there might be a possibility uh, I'm giving birth to God. I mean, how does that conversation really go? Right, This had to be a little awkward, right? Joseph had to, had to have a difficult time with this. It was messy. The first Christmas story was messy from top to bottom. If he stays with Mary, society labels both of them as being immoral. If he walks away, Mary is publicly disgraced, and really her life is over. And then there was always the slim, slim chance of what if she's right? What if she's really carrying God? Sometimes life doesn't give us clear-cut choices. There's no easy choices. And so Joseph had a messy decision to make. Plan A quickly becomes plan B. Plan A was to marry. Plan B decided, I'm just going to quietly walk away from her. Look at verse 19 again. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So he just, plan A was shot. Joseph prepares to move forward with plan B. And then plan B gets a hole in it because God shows up. 
And Joseph goes from plan A to plan B. And then all of a sudden, God introduces plan C. Anybody working off of plan C? Don't raise your hand if you're married. And so Joseph now, he's going to begin to fall into plan C. And we see it in Matthew 1, verse 20. But after he had considered this, meaning divorcing her and just kind of walking away, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Catch that verse 22. Joseph understood that God was going to send a Savior, a Messiah, an anointed one, a Redeemer into Israel, and he was looking and waiting for that Messiah, as were all good Jews at that time. It was just a matter of who it would be and when it would happen. The coming Savior was prophesied generations earlier. And so now God speaks to Joseph through an angel and reveals his plan C, that Mary has been chosen, and by virtue of her being chosen, you have been chosen to be the earthly father of God. So I want us to unpack this a little bit with the time that we have left, and maybe learn something on how we can respond when we too are faced with messy choices. Navigating messy choices. Here's the first thing I see. Joseph did, is that he gave God room to speak. Look at chapter 1, verse 19. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful, other translation says he was a righteous man to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, this was Joseph's plan, right? This was prior to allowing God to speak. He was faithful to the law, meaning that Joseph was authentic in his pursuit of righteousness, by adhering to the rules and regulations of Jewish law, which meant this. Joseph had the legal right to separate from Mary. And Joseph had the moral right under Jewish law to separate from Mary on grounds of unfaithfulness. Culturally, he could have quite possibly had her executed for her unfaithfulness. If he stays with her, they're both labeled as immoral, and it disgraces not only him, but also both sides of the families for generations moving forward. But it's in the midst of these messy choices that Joseph gives God room to speak. And God implies, I know you have the legal right, and I know you have the moral right, but you're going to need to trust me on this one. That Mary has not been unfaithful, but has been chosen, and by virtue, you have been chosen. Meaning, listen, listen, there will be times in life when you have the right to do something, And you may have the legal right to do something. And you may even have the moral right to do something. But God may step in and say, if you do it, you will not be right. There may be times that you have the legal right and you have the moral right. But God will say, if you do it, you still will not be right. It's the upside down principle of the kingdom. A lot of it just doesn't make sense. Listen, listen to some things of this upside-down principle of the kingdom. Jesus said, if you're striving to be first, you will be last. Jesus said, if you want to be great, then you must become less. If you want to be rich, you need to give more away. If you want to be a leader, you must become a servant. That you need to pray for those who persecute you. You need to turn the other cheek. If somebody asks for your 
your uh, uh, coat, give them your shirt as well. If you want to live, you must die to yourself. There's really nothing about the kingdom of God that makes sense to us. And so there'll be times where God may say, look, the reality of it is, is you may have the support of your conscience. You may have the support of your friends. You may have the backing of government. The law might be on your side. You may have the legal right. You may have the moral right. But there are times that God will step in and say, but if you do this, you will not be in the right. Because my plans are not your plans. And my ways are not your ways. And so Joseph moves from plan A, which was a wedding, to plan B, which was just quietly walking away and landed on plan C only after giving God room to speak. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. See, here's our challenge. Every one of us in this room, we have this in common. Will we give God room to speak into our messy choices? And every one of us in this room have some part of life where it's messy. And will we allow God room to speak into our messy choices? Because typically, when we face messy choices, we act out of our emotions. And Joseph could have acted out of anger and had her executed. He could have felt feelings of betrayal and had her publicly shamed. Feelings of jealousy and went on a rampage to find the man. Who is he? I'll kill him. But Joseph had to step away from his emotions and allow God room to speak. Have your emotions, have your moods ever gotten you into trouble? Have you ever woken up in a bad mood and you decided to say something and as it's coming out of your mouth, you're thinking, this is a really bad idea. But it just keeps coming, you can't stop it. Have you ever went into work and told your boss exactly what you think of him or her because you woke up in a mood and lost that job? Some of us are in an 18-year relationship with a child because you were in the mood. <laughs> right? If, if our emotions go unchecked, they can sabotage the life that we desire because our emotions, they lie to us. And I can guarantee you this, that if, if we are making decisions, if, if we find ourselves with messy choices and we're making decisions based upon our emotions, I can almost guarantee you that you are in a messy season of life. And I've counseled a lot of people who don't understand why life keeps getting sideways. And why they repeat the same thing over and over and over again. It's because no one is speaking into your messy choices except for the voices in your head. Or the people in your life who think exactly like you think. And at some point, we have to step out of our emotions and allow God to speak into the messy circumstances of life. Here's the second thing I see that Joseph did well. He obeyed without all the facts. Obey without all the facts. If we're going to give God room to speak, we have to be be willing to obey without knowing everything. In Joseph's story, there was a lot that was unknown. What will it be like to be the earthly father of God? There's one question you could have asked the angel. What about this one? Can I spank him? Or is that an immediate ticket to hell? What does that look like? What do you do with that? You know, it's like Jesus, and he just looks at it, and he's like, what's his life going to look like? Do I need to teach him anything? Hey, will he know that he's the Messiah or do I got to tell him this? Do I need to help him save the world or does he do that all on his own? What about Mary and I? Are we going to be saved? Can we have other children after him? There's all of these questions that don't get unanswered. But at some point, he allows room God to speak 
and he's obedient without knowing all of the facts. The Gospel of Luke gives the account of Jesus' first meeting with Simon Peter. And Peter was a fisherman. He spent all night on the lake with uh, little to show for it, and he's now pulled his boat into shore, and he's cleaning the nets, and he's cleaning his equipment. When Jesus shows up, and Jesus is teaching an ever-increasing crowd of people, and he asks Peter to kind of push his boat off and uh, that, that he pushed it away from shore that Jesus would continue to teach the people from the boat. And so Peter does that. And when Jesus is done with his teaching, he tells Peter, why don't you take the boat out into the deeper waters and cast your net off to the side? Now, you have to understand, Peter is a fisherman. Jesus is a rabbi, the son of a carpenter. And so here's this rabbi telling a fisherman who's fished his whole life on those waters, how to fish and what to do. You can almost hear Peter thinking, you stay to teaching, let me stay to fishing. And, and, and so Peter, again, a messy decision. You know, remember, Peter was done for the day. His equipment was already clean. The evening was unproductive. You know, Peter tried every trick in the fisherman's handbook to get some type of produce a harvest, and yet there was nothing. And now some rabbi, the son of a carpenter, is telling him how he should do his job. And so we see in verse 5 of chapter 5, where Peter responds to Jesus and says, look, we've worked hard all night, and I haven't come up with anything. In other words, Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but I know what I'm doing. I've fished these waters my whole life. My father fished these waters his whole life. I've grown up here. There's just no fish biting today. But then there's this small phrase in our story that turns out to be life-changing. He says, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And I love this because what, what Peter is saying, look, this, is, this does not make sense to me. It is counterintuitive to me. I think it's a waste of time. I fished these waters my whole life. Uh, I've been out all night with no results. But because you say so, I will be obedient even without knowing all of the facts. See, Luke 5 is not about fishing. It's about following Jesus even when we don't understand what the rest of the story is going to look like. Peter could have done what we all do, and that is to dwell on questions and past failures and past attempts and allow hopelessness to set in. But at some point, we have to be willing, if we're going to give God room to speak, at some point we have to be willing to step out in faith even when we do not understand the entire story that is is not laid out in front of us. When God asked my wife and I, Sheila, to uh, cast our net, so to speak, and start a church, Man, there were all kinds of questions like, what does that mean? Where do we move to? And what will I do for work? And what about my children? What will my wife do for work? And hey, God, will anyone come? And what about finances? And what about retirement? And and what if I'm not good at it? And what if it fails? But at some point, there had to be a, but because you say so moment. And that is to step out in obedience, even when we don't know all of the facts. And then again, moving into here, all of the questions again. How are we going to raise enough money? What if we try and we don't? How are we going to make the monthly payment? What if nobody comes? What if nobody stays? How are we going to manage this building on top of everything else? But at some point, there has to be a because you say so decision. And so what is your because you say so moment? What does that look like for you that you're wrestling with right now and God is trying to get you to step out, but you continue to give him excuse after excuse of why God's plan won't work? 
or why God's promptings can't happen. And God wants you to forgive, but we keep saying, well, they don't deserve it. Or what, what if they do it again? Or God says, be generous. And what if I don't have enough? And God says, hey, it's time for you to step up and serve. But what about my schedule and my me time? Or invest in community at the church. And what if people reject me? Or maybe there's a relationship that you have in your life right now that's not good for you. And God's saying, there's better. And we say, well, what if I don't find somebody else? Or what if I'm alone? Or God says, lay down the past. And We say, what if it repeats itself? Or God says, stay sexually pure. And you're like, but everybody else is doing it. At some point, if we're going to allow God to speak into our messy choices, we have to be willing to say, I will obey. I will surrender, even when I do not know all of the facts. There's an element of the story, as we get ready to wrap up, that I find interesting. And because Joseph gave God room to speak. And because he obeyed without knowing all of the facts, and because Joseph said yes to God and stepped in as a stepfather, Joseph got to participate in his own redemption, which I find really interesting, that he participates in his own redemption by raising the one who would provide redemption for him. And there's something here that I kind of wrestle with, this idea that every time we say yes to the voice of God, Every time we say yes and obey God, there is a sense that we are participating in our own redemption. Now, hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we can earn salvation. That's free. It's a gift of God. God just gives it to us. I'm not saying that we can produce our own redemption. I'm not saying any of that. But I am saying something happens when we become willing participants before God. And when we submit ourselves and say yes to God, I'm giving you room to speak, and yes, I will step out and be obedient, even though I don't understand, that we become willing participants in the redemption story that God is working in each of us. But here's the other side of that. If you say no to God, God says, your story's on your own. I'm not going to override your decision. But every time you say yes, You become a willing participant in God transforming and reworking and redeeming us. Every time we give God room to speak, every time we say yes to God, we become willing participants. See, our precondition before Jesus is we were enslaved to the principles of this world. Galatians 4 talks about that. We're slaves to our own sin and our own messy decisions, enslaved to values that tell us to look out only for number one, attitudes to to use others for personal gain, ideologies that tell us we can't love people who are unlovable or who are not like us. I can't forgive because they may do it again or they don't deserve it. But when the time was right, God sent us a Savior that in the mess, He would be in the mess with us. And so here is my question to leave with you. What messy choices do you face today? Because if you're like me, I'm either coming out of a mess, I'm in a mess, or I'll be entering a mess. That just seems to be what life is. I mean, that's the experience here. And so I need Jesus in the mess with me. Sometimes life doesn't always go to plan. And so what messy choices do you face, and will you allow God room to speak? And is there something in your life today, right now, 
where God needs to speak. Or maybe God has already spoken, but you simply will not say yes to that. And that is your area of tension. Will you give God room to speak? And will you say yes, even when you do not understand the entire story? Let's bring the lights down, and we're going to give us an opportunity to respond for a couple minutes today. See, here's our challenge is we can hear a message and we can hear God's word and then we can, you know, pack up and we can leave. And, but we need to allow ourselves some opportunity here because, look, your life isn't any different than mine. There's things in life that we wrestle with and we want to constantly take back the control of life and just steer it ourselves. And it's a continual time of coming before Jesus and submitting ourselves again, saying, God, you speak, I'll obey. And so I want us to give us some time today to think through that, some time for you to wrestle with it and pray about it. And maybe there's a time of repentance, or maybe it's a time of, of you kind of submitting yourself to what God is asking of you. Maybe it's a time of coming to Jesus for the first time, becoming a follower of Christ. So as we worship, feel free to stand or sit or kneel or use the altar area. If you'd like prayer, I'll pray for you. If we need more people that need to be prayed for, we'll ask some of our leaders to come up. Just allow the Holy Spirit to speak for a few minutes, will you? Lord, let us not pretend that life is clean perfect but instead let us embrace this idea that you are present in the mess with us and I pray for some of us that we would wrestle right now with that idea of allowing you to speak into our situations allowing you to speak into the mess and let us wrestle with this idea of saying yes, even when we do not fully understand. In Jesus' name. account in the Gospels where a a very costly vial of perfume was poured out uh, upon Jesus and was being used to wash his feet and um, the thought was it was worth a a day's or, or a year's wages. It was that valuable. And perfumes and oils were often used as currency. And Uh, one of the disciples became very frustrated that this vial was broken and all of the perfume was put upon the feet of Jesus. And they said that money could have been, that could have been sold and that money could have been given to the poor. Wanted it for himself, really. It wasn't about going to the poor. And Jesus rebuked them. And the the idea was that the, the reason why you can't, see yourself 
responding to Christ in such a way was the person who was doing this had a past and understood what she had been forgiven of. And the idea was that that, that Judas, the reason why you're so indignant, the reason why you're so upset is, is you think that I've forgiven you worth about $5 worth of sin where this woman realized of what I've actually forgiven and the, the difference I've made in her life. And so she was willing to give everything towards it. And I'm concerned, church. I'm concerned that some of us only think we've been forgiven of five dollars worth of sin. And there's no desperation for God. So I want to leave this with you. Is God just this idea that fits into an American lifestyle Or were you lost in your sin and desperate for Jesus to make an appearance in your life today? Or do we just coast and add Jesus to an already busy existence? See, here's what I believe. Some of you missed an opportunity today for God to speak into your mess. And because of the mercy of God, he comes back around. But at some point, We have to be willing to say, hey, I'm willing to pursue the best of God, even when it may look uncomfortable, even though it may cost me something. And so I leave this with us. When we have these moments, this is your moment to find God who you hopefully have been searching for and seeking for and longing for because you need something other than yourself in the mess. And that is the presence of Jesus. And the the most frustrating part of being a pastor is I can't make you understand that type of Jesus that I've come to know. You have to get it for yourself. You have to experience it for yourself. And the only way that happens is when we step and move. And that is what we'll talk about next week. Of the beauty of Christmas is that when we pursue the Christ child, It always involves some type of movement towards Christ. This week, Lord, I pray, whether we sat through this last few moments or whether we pursued you, I pray that you would speak to us about our, our condition and our need for you. Not just at the point of salvation, but a daily need to be regenerated and renewed and be restored and our minds and our thinkings to be restored. And that we would begin that pursuit of you. That you would jolt us out of comfortable Christianity and instead begin to seek and begin to find and begin to wait and begin to listen and begin to know. And so we're inviting you into our messy situations this week. Make us aware of your presence. Speak into our situations. And I pray our response will be yes in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Look forward to seeing you next week.